Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Other Job Podcast, a place where we explore all those tasks that are required for building high-performance teams, but we never seem to have enough time to do or to do well. We started this podcast to share learnings from being there and doing that for those who want to go there and do that, and to also hear from voices uh, in the industry to share their own lived experience. Today, I'm thrilled to say that we're joined by Alex Schutman, CEO of Alchemy, former CEO of Workfront and the author of Done Right, How Tomorrow's Top Leaders Get Stuff Done. I can't think of a better guest. Welcome, Alex. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I had to put stuff on the title because they wouldn't let me put the other word on. Uh, we understand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember those branding discussions uh, kind of very well uh, uh, during our shared time at, at Workfront. I'm I'm super excited about the discussion today. Um a lot of people that have worked with me since my time at Workfront um, know that I cite Alex and what I learned from Alex on a regular basis. Um, and Alex, one, one of those things, by the way, like I, I, I remember everything, like the, the, the room we were in, the environment, like this, this moment is, has like a, a level of clarity in my memory that's, that's um, a little bit impressive, I gotta say. Um, and it was when you proclaimed one day uh, that frontline leaders have the hardest job in any company. And I thought to myself, here's the guy with what is probably the actual hardest job <laughs> in any company, the CEO, um, saying that a role that is often overlooked actually has the hardest job in any company. Can you can you just share with our audience like what led you to that that decision or that proclamation? Um, well, two things. One is if you think about the job, it's the job where strategy meets reality, right? You know, me in my role, I could have a great idea and say, "Hey, we should get a new market or we should have a new product," and um, uh, and then that that hits the reality of a frontline team who is supposed to go into that new market. And, and from my perspective, I'm like, well, that's easy. It's the same buyer. They say the same things. And then the reality happens, right? And that, that salesperson or pre-sales engineer is, is now in front of somebody that they have no idea what they're doing. They don't know their job. They don't know their role. They don't know their pain. And they're trying to, to work through that. And that first line manager is in the middle of that. But what makes it harder for that first line manager is so here they are in in the intersection between strategy and reality and then they have to do two things that are really really hard number one they just they can't completely get into the foxhole with their team right if their team's like this is really really hard we're never going to be successful they can't be like you're right it's really really hard we're never going to be successful um and but they also have a responsibility to manage up and explain to leadership uh, what part of the strategy is not actually going to work. And we all like to say it's easy to manage up, but, you know, we're tribal creatures. You kind of show people deference that you work for. And so that's why I've always thought this is a really, really hard job is it's where strategy meets reality. Um, uh, you're hearing from your team what doesn't work. Um, you can't just agree with them. 
you have to figure out how to get them over the hurdle of the new. Um, you've been asked to execute a strategy. And so you just can't say, no, the strategy doesn't work, so I'm not going to execute it. But you have to be able to communicate things that need to change with the strategy, which takes a lot of diplomacy. And so I just think I just think that organization rises and falls on on great frontline leadership. To, to, so like, hey, that's incredibly complicated. That's an incredibly complicated set of skills job. and characteristics. Is it is that exacerbated by point B, maybe that like most of the people that move into that role haven't been trained to do any of the things that you just described? Chris, I would tell you that the turnaround from my perspective. Now, I, I was running a field organization. I wasn't the CEO of BMC, but we went through a pretty big turnaround and I think it was a hundred percent related to investing in the frontline leadership team. We kind of sort of did it by accident. We woke up one day and realized we had a couple hundred frontline leaders around the world and we were seeing that they didn't have certain skills. And in the beginning it was kind of like, well, why do we hire that person? They don't have the skills. But then when you get to about the hundredth person that doesn't have the skills, you start going, Oh, we, so we created something that we call first line of defense and it was a purposeful investment in the frontline leaders of the field organization. And as that team uh, lifted up their knowledge, skills, ability, and confidence, it just lifted the whole field organization. So that's a pretty so that's a pretty gutsy investment. It seems obvious now, but we've all worked at companies, at least Chris and I have, where you take your top IC and you say, congratulations, you get a new job uh, and go figure it out. We've actually had someone on, on our podcast that had that exact experience. And so how do you go invest sort of the organizational capital to go like pull these folks out of the field, pull them out of their top, you know, top performing IC capabilities um, and say, this is something we're going to slow down and do to go faster. Well, I mean, the good news at BMC is uh, Beecham was a CEO and Beecham had grown up in sales. And so he also had a really good instinct for great sales leadership, great sales management. You know, so you, you have a conversation with, uh, with the CEO that says, um, uh, we're, we need great frontline sales leaders. Yes, we do. We don't have great frontline sales leaders. Okay. And we can't go hire 200 brand new great land, great first line sales leaders while we're a public company. And so it really made the most sense, Jeff, to invest in the frontline sales leaders. And it, um, it's always been probably one of the fa my favorite things I get to do. And then the second thing that we did, Jeff, and we've continued to do that in every company since then, is we didn't outsource it. Um, so the leadership team taught it. We taught the leadership team how to teach it and the leadership team taught it, right? So the, so executive leadership and sales taught second line folks how to teach this. And then when you were teaching the first line, the executive leadership team was there to coach the second line on how to teach the first line. Because guess what? If you got to teach something, you really got to learn it. <laughs> Yeah, that is so that's super interesting because we've when we've gotten that training, it it's almost exclusively from the outside. 
Now we used outside people who were fantastic, but what, yeah. what we would kind of do is like uh, 10 minutes before the next session, we would be in the green room helping the director. Okay. So how are you going to sell? How are you going to teach this? What question are you going to ask? What are you going to, you know? And so then they would go in fully supported, yeah. but they were teaching. Yeah. So, and Alex, you, you, you've, I mean, so you just mentioned you've done this at every company you've been at since BMC. Um, I, I was the fortunate recipient of said training uh, during my time at Workfront. Vividly remember, in fact, in my drawer right here, I still have the workbook um, just, you know, 18 inches away. Um, it'd, be, it'd, it'd be more effective, though, I think, for folks to hear directly from you over those experiences. What are the, let's just call it three common um, level ups and, and common skill gaps that you see as being most effective. Like if we had to start somewhere as leaders, it'd be these three areas. Yeah. The first one is the mistake we all make. Um, we think to ourselves, if they like us, they'll do anything for us, right? We may not use those words, but we take the job and we kind of have, I mean, there's a, probably 5% of the population that takes the job and they just go, okay, if I could be the biggest jackwad on the planet, that's going to work. But if you just ignore that outlier, right, we've all met some of those men and women. Um, but if you're going to go, the, the majority of, the, of managers go, man, if I, if, if I just get them to like me, they'll do anything for me. And, and so what, you, what I think we all have to realize is there's, there's this spectrum between respect and like. And we all start over here on the like side. But what we realize sooner or later is our folks don't need to like us. They need to be successful. Now, that doesn't mean that we should be mean and nasty or anything like that. It just means that the first thing that we have to hold as our um, compass point, if you will, is my job is to help my team be successful. For me to help my team be successful, I'm going to probably ask them to do things that they don't want to do. And I'm probably going to make them do things that they don't want to do. Um, and if I do that and they're successful, maybe one day they'll respect me. Right. So I would say that's the big one, Chris, is do you start on we all start on the like side. But if you could start on the respect side, not like I demand respect but you start on the, maybe the outcome of this is respect and I'm going to get there by making sure that they can be successful. The second one seems really silly, but it's be available, right? I think too many people kind of like, well, yeah, I don't want to micromanage anything. And so Chris, you got your territory, Jeff, you got your territory, just go do your thing. Right. And they don't realize that, that, um, no, you're, you're there to be, with your folks um, in every minute that they need you to be with them. And even minutes that they don't think that you need to be uh, that, that you need to be with them, um, it, which kind of gets me to the last one, which is it, it. And you'll be like, yeah, of course, but how, but it's be a good coach. And how many of us like to, to be a big good coach, if you think about it, you have to know what good looks like. And you have to be so intimate with somebody that you watch them do their job, knowing what good looks like, and you can build a path 
that gets them to from where they are to what good looks like. And you know when to show them, you know when to step away, right? Um, and you know to never grab the wheel. <laughs> and so I think, Chris, if I were to just say that the skills that I've seen in great frontline leaders are, you know, are, are they focused on their, their folks' success? And that means they're going to ask them to do stuff that they probably don't want to do. Are they available to them, you know, or did they just go hands off? And then are they really, are they really being a coach? So Alex, one of the things I was, I was watching an interview you gave a couple of years back talking about um, that happiness isn't the goal of trying to make your employee happy and the difference between giving them what they need versus what they want and giving them what they want is much easier than giving them what they need. Mm -hmm. How does that dovetail into that? Is that about like sometimes giving them the tough coaching about their gaps between where they are and what good looks like? And they're never going to ask for that, but they absolutely need it. Is that what you're talking about here? Yeah. You know, what we've talked about when we've gotten close to folks and Chris, you probably heard this is, um, if it's a, if, if I'm a leader and it's about you liking me, Jeff, then it's about me. Right. If I'm a leader and it's about me loving you, then I'm going to be willing to have difficult conversations with you, not to tear you down, but to say, Hey, Jeff, like when you did that demo, that limbic opening that you started with is not an effective limbic opening. It didn't capture anybody's attention. Half the audience was gone by the time you got into your, uh, your first act of your demo. And so you, you, you have to change that limbic. Now, if I do that from a place of caring, I can do that. It's so, also from a place like, being able to give that specific feedback comes from a place of mastery too, right? Like, you know, what good looks like, you know, what they're trying to accomplish in the gaps. And I think to your second point about manage those leaders that are hands off, let me go do your thing. I don't think they put themselves, do they put themselves in a position to be able to give that coaching you just ex explained? I don't know, but, but uh, I think you have to have, if you're going to be a coach, you have to have some mastery skills. Yeah, that, right. you, you at least have to have defined what Matt, you, you may not have to be a master yourself. Yeah. Like I, can, I can't, I've never, I, if I did a demo, y'all would, it'd be, it'd be bad. Right. But I've been through enough to know what good looks like in a demo and be able to give an observation uh, to somebody of, Hey, here's what good looks like. Here's uh, where you are. And, and let's go do these things and I'll be with you. Yeah, you you have to you have to tell people what good looks like. You have to tell one, one of the most effective leadership conversations I've ever had was actually just getting in in a small huddle room on a whiteboard and telling a seller what good looked like. Yeah. In really specific terms. And, and this showing up. So well, yeah, and then you got to go lead, but but literally ju just one conversation left this seller was speechless. He says to me nobody's ever explained the job and the clear like progression I need to make to get better to me. Like nobody had ever explained that to this person. And um, that was shocking. 
but I, I think I, this. I think Chris, I you know I love the job of sales. I think sales is if if you if you hold to yourself that selling is exchanging what you have or what you know for what somebody else hopes for, it can be the most noble job on the planet, right? And it's a lot of fun and and you get good at it and and you create that hero in that customer who gets a promotion. It's awesome. It is awesome. I, so I want to talk in a little bit more detail about getting good at it. And mm -hmm. it is in air quotes. But, and I think that the definition of it has gotten fairly complicated in the last, I don't know, let's call it decade. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it's social media or the rise of, an, you know, very large enablement organizations and consulting firms to help you get better at it being selling. Um and and just in the in the preamble to us starting the recording here, we were talking about kind of the fundamentals of sales and how important those are and how often they're overlooked. Um, can, can just co comment on that for me? Like like what what are the fundamentals? And and if you had to tell your organization, you know, I want you to divide up your time between developing fundamental skills and advanced skills. How would you weight their 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 investment of time? Well, I wouldn't do anything advanced until I was really good at the fundamentals. That's for sure. But let me let's just unpack what I just said for a second. If the job of selling is exchanging what you have or what you know for what somebody else hopes for, if that's the job of selling, well, it starts with do you understand what they hope for, right? And then if you really unpack that, then it's like do you really know who your buyer is? Do you really know what they're trying to accomplish? Do you really know what it'll mean to them personally and professionally if they accomplish it? Can you build a relationship with them that is a genuine relationship that's based upon trust where they'll share with you? So there's a whole set of basic skills that you have to have to learn what do they hope for, right? Now you have to exchange what you have or what you know. Well, do you have, do you know what you have? Like, do you understand and do you have conviction? Because if you don't believe in what you're selling, hang it up. It's not going to work. Right. So there's a whole set of skills that are around, but then the middle part is you have to convey it. Right. And, and the ability to communicate simply what you have and connect it to what they hope for. So Chris, I could take those three things. What do they hope for? Do you know what you have? Can you communicate it? Like that's six months of work right there. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything else if I was a salesperson until now we can get into pipeline. We can get into all the mechanics, but the best, the best know how to do that. Uh, there, there's a second, um, so, so we've talked a little bit about, you know, this concept of doing things right, doing stuff right. Um, I remember a second axis, if you will, on on your view of development and leadership, which is getting it done, um, which is maybe the easier of the two things to understand in a way. But could, mm -hmm. could you just help folks understand the intersection of those two things and, and how you think about that? Yeah, yeah. Um this started back at BMC and um, 
it was really more of a cultural statement that said, if you thought about a two by two axis where the vertical axis is getting it done, the horizontal axis is doing it right. Um, low to high, right? Bottom left-hand corner, you're not getting it done. You're not doing it right. Probably not a great place for you. Doesn't mean you're a bad person, right? Not a good fit. Need to move on. Doing it right, not getting it done. You're, you're made of our stuff, but we're a both-and organization. So you do have to hit the numbers, but we're going to coach you because you're made of our stuff. Getting it done, doing it right, you're getting the awards, you're, go, you know, you're, you're who we're gonna have up on stage every single time. Um, getting it done, not doing it right, we're gonna fire you faster than anybody else. Because what happens is, especially in sales, if you make excuses for the top performer, you can never drive the culture that you want. And the hardest decisions you'll ever make is releasing your highest performer because they're not doing, and by the way, when I say not doing things within the values of the company, I'm not talking about lying, cheating, stealing, because that's pretty easy, right? But, you know, is it broken glass everywhere that they go? You know, is the services team having to clean up behind them? Are there customer sat issues? And if, if you make excuses for that, for that top performer, it just, it just crushes the soul of everybody else who's trying to do the right thing. And conversely, when people are in an organization where they realize that they can do the right thing and win, they soar, man. They're like, man, I, because the world's telling them they can't. The world's telling them that they got to cut corners, but all of a sudden they're in a place where they can do the right thing and win. They're like, man, I found home. Yeah. That reminds me, uh, you know, I know having raised two, two boys and, you know, active in sports, one of the common things I've heard like great, great athletic coaches say is, I will take I will take kids on the team that don't have the skill level to compete, but that are the first guys out of the dugout or off the bench or whatever, grabbing water, you know, lifting their teammates up, et cetera. And um, I, I think it's just so crucial to make sure you get that part of it right. Yeah, you can't teach want to. <laughs> well said. So Alex, I have a, I have a, I think there's a unique opportunity for our audience uh, with you today. And we focus on those people that are the first or second time leaders that aren't getting the, the perspective that they need to be successful. As a CEO, when you're working with or interacting with a frontline manager, what are the things that when you see here where you're just like, that's the next generation of the company? Like those are the people mm -hmm. we've got to retain. Like maybe just pull it back just a little bit. Like, what are you thinking when you meet a first time, second time frontline manager? For, like, I actually have, I have a picture of somebody in my brain, right? When you said there, I know exactly. And I know who it is. And so, um, you know, this person uh, is not bound by the definition of their job. Right. So they're not, well, I'm in sales. You know, that's the service thing. Right. I mean, they clearly want to make a lot of money. They clearly want to be successful. But but in pursuit of excellence, uh, they will go wide. Right. They're not just, hey, I'm I'm the sales leader. This is my thing. A total commitment to the customer. Right. We are not going. Uh, now, will we screw up stuff? Absolutely. We're a software company. We're going to screw stuff up. But um we, this person 
will not do do a bad deal for the customer to do a deal. No chance. I, I mean, I trust this person implicitly that they are not going to do a bad deal uh, for the customer. Um, is in every tough moment with their team and is in no glory moments with their team. So when they're when it's time for their team to get recognition, um, you cannot see them. But when 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 it's the total suck, they are there glued to the side of their team. Role play every conversation, every customer conversation. They will not let their team not practice. They will not let their team not uh, do uh, do a. They understand, we talked earlier about the two fundamentals of sales are pipeline and skills, right? So they've got the most important things first and uh, and then the, the other things. They have the ability to speak truth to power, right? The first person that I meet that tells me that my stuff doesn't stink is the last person that I want as a frontline manager because you need to know that you can get the truth in this job and so this person absolutely will speak the truth, uh, the truth to power. I could go on, but there's some things after doing this for a while. Right. You get pretty quickly, you see the top 5% just by how they walk. Yeah, that's, uh, that is incredibly insightful, I think. Um, the other thing that I, I go back to a little bit of my learning, I was a first time director, had a team of like 15 people, was really struggling. Um, and I had our CFO pulled me aside and was like, don't forget, leadership is lonely. You're doing the right stuff. And as you're describing that person, it sounds like, you know, how as a frontline manager do you build in that or how do you as a leader build in that support network? Because your peers aren't your peers anymore if you've got promoted up. Um, and how do you, how do you do that? Well, I mean, a couple of things. One is you make sure you got a really great chief revenue officer. <laughs> so, you know, somebody that, that, uh, that understands, you know, the, the job is hard. And so you want people surrounding that frontline manager that respect the job, right. That understand the job and that understand, you know, when to be, uh, nose in and hands off, if you will. Like, like, am I in here supporting this person, but still letting them do their job? And then you support it with the CFO, good CFO. You know, I, I would call it. I would call a sales friendly CFO. That doesn't mean they let the sales team know what to do, but they un and also like general counsel. So our CFO and our general counsel, they understand where revenue comes from. Right. So they're sales friendly, general counsel, sales friendly. Doesn't mean that the sales team is going to get what they want, but the CFO is like, okay, how do we build this deal? How's it going to work? Right. General counsel, how are we going to get this term uh, across? Great HR team. Right. How are we going to hire the right? So you start saying to yourself, does the leadership team understand that, that, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with any company that a little revenue wouldn't fix, right? So do they, do they understand that, you know, you need input before you get output? Um, and that doesn't mean that they're, that they, 
like Carl, who's our CRO, he does this great job of not letting the sales team be prima donnas, right? Not letting the sales team say, well, I've done my thing. Now you guys do your thing. And so it's this balance between have we surrounded the sales team with the resources that they need to be successful? But Chris, because you know, Carl, but, you know, I, I'm not going to let you treat the company bad. Uh, I'm not going to let you make excuses. I'm not going to say, let you say that if you just had the right stuff on the truck, you could make your number. We're going to go make our number with what's on the truck. I, 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 having worked for Carl, I can attest to the fact that he would not let me be a prima donna. It's, that's an accurate, very accurate. But he would also insist that every function in the company do what they need to do so that the sales team has a chance to be successful. Yeah. And, and I don't know if this is telling tales out of, out of school, Alex, but I, I was, uh, when Jeff asked his question about, you know, especially first time frontline leaders being lonely, Carl actually taught me, and, and I think all of the other leaders at, at Workfront are a really valuable lesson on that note. He broke the myth about my team. Yeah. It's not what, your team. Can I, can I, can I, can I tell that story? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Just, I mean, hats off to Carl, who's a legendary leader in his own right. And, um, and taught me this. He, he said, when you, when you use the phrase, my team, you typically are, you are, are using it in the context of the, the group of people that you are the leader over the manager of. He said, that's the wrong definition. He said, your team is the group of people in the company that do the same job as you, have the same challenges as you, have the same paths to success as you. He said, the number one piece of advice I give you is to go strengthen that team yeah. because you're gonna need them to lean on. And that, that, your for your team to be, if you think about, if, you, if everything's from the, from the perspective of, I want my rep to make a number, right? You need that team for them to make the number. Yep. Yep. Right. And it doesn't work to go to them and beat them around the shoulders and say you're a knucklehead because you have no idea what they're going through. <laughs> Absolutely right. Oh, that brings back such fond memories. Um, Alex, I guess in closing, any um, I mean, I, I just love to to maybe hear if somebody wanted to very because again like many things in our industry i feel like there's been some unnecessary overcomplication in the last five years is there any like parting practical advice maybe going back to the getting it done doing it right model that you'd give a new leader to quickly try and wrap their arms around um how to how to assess their team and get them on a path to development um, that, that's practical and and you know we Jeff and I kind of have this this standard for the podcast of what advice can we give people that's concrete enough to implement like on Monday? Yeah, I, I think a couple things. One is focus on the basics, and I would call it the technical part of your job and the leadership part of your job. Let me just take every job's got a technical part of it, right? That's the competence related to the job. Uh, let me just take sales for a second. If I thought about the, the competence related to the job, um, and you've heard me probably say this a million times, Chris, the job of sales is pipeline and skills. If you get that right, it covers up so many other problems. If you don't get that right, it's almost impossible to be successful. 
So uh, learn the basics of what is great pipeline management look like if you're a first line manager. And then learn the basics of what's the skills that my people need to have and how am I going to teach and coach them to have those skills. And most importantly, what kind of time allocation, right? So in my calendar, do I have, you know, do I have an hour a week where I'm just spending time with the folks on my team on skills, skills only, pipeline. I never have a pipeline meeting and a forecast call, right? Forecast call, nothing good happens in a forecast call because Chris, you're either going to tell me you closed it or you screwed it up. There's no coaching that happens in a, in a forecast call. All the coaching happens in a pipeline. So first, I'd say technical and leadership. First part, know the basic best technical parts. Then leadership, I kind of think it's like three things for a first line manager. The first is, can you really listen? Actively listen, right? Where you're with the person and you're truly understanding what they're saying. Jeff, what we talked about earlier, can you give direct feedback, um, caring feedback? And then finally, can you translate the message? Can you take what the company's trying to accomplish and can you connect your team to what the company's trying to accomplish? Because I'll close with this, Chris and Jeff. Um, if you've got motivated people, they will create success. And motivated people need three things. And this is the job of the frontline manager. Motivated people need three things. Do they understand their role? Do they believe their role matters? And do they have an opportunity to be proud of their work? And if as a frontline manager, you can help people uh, understand with clarity what their role is, connect it to something bigger than them, and provide them the tools and coaching so that they've got an opportunity to be proud of their work, you will be a great frontline manager. Alex, thank you so much for spending time with us. Really appreciate it. I know it's a busy time of year, wrapping up a year, kicking off a new one. Uh, as always, um, a wealth of insight and uh, education. So thank you ever so much. You're welcome. It was thank a lot you. of fun. Jeff, nice to meet you. Chris, so good to see you again. You made my day. Likewise. <laughs>